What if you were the living embodiment of all pervasive peace? What if all sentient beings all around you increased their vibration towards harmony by merely being in your contact? What if through conscious reasoning, focused will, and intentional living, you reform yourself, thereby becoming a catalyst and sparking transformation in others. I'm Shilpa Lewis, meditation and mindfulness coach for midlife mompreneurs, and you are listening to Omnipresent Awareness, the podcast that will inspire you to use your story to serve humanity in not just healing, but thriving as souls, each fulfilling their highest purpose. And now, a conversation recorded with my partner in awareness, Tanya, from our joint podcast, Mindful Mompreneur Moments. And oh yeah, if you could, please listen to the very end of the podcast for powerful insights from our guest. Thank you. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, a conversation we had with the resilient Lena. From fleeting Chernobyl, Russia as a young girl to corporate executive, Lena's journey is a story of grit. At the tender age of two, during the heat of communism in Russia, Lena and her family lived behind a closet in a one-bedroom apartment issued by the government. At the age of three, she and her family are forced to escape her hometown of Chernobyl because of poisonous gases. By the time she is seven, Lena flees Russia with her parents and two sets of elderly grandparents without a dollar to their name or no worldly possessions, escaping to the U.S. as refugees in pursuit of a better life. This young girl goes on pushing through all obstacles, translating for her family growing, learning, prevailing against all odds, never giving up, and pulling her family and loved ones along with her with a heart of light and gratitude. Lena is now a technology leader, a corporate executive director, a mother of two incredible children, a wife to an amazing man, and someone who uses her voice to help those around her even when she's tired. Lena encourages others to know that you are enough and nothing is impossible with a light heart, persistence, and humor. This life is meant to be lived, and we are all here for a reason. So let's live, do, and be. And now, here's Lena. Lena, thank you so much again for being with us today. Yeah, well, glad to be here. This is great. Thank you so much. So happy to have you here. Mm. So without further ado, we'll just jump right in. Lena, tell us a little bit about your journey, how you arrived at what you are doing in your life now and some background. Yeah, thanks. I, going way back to uh, the early days when I was born, I was born in a small town called Jatomir, right outside of Kiev by the Black Sea. And I was born to two parents, um, mom and a dad. My mom was a school teacher and my dad was a mechanical engineer by trade. 
and we lived in a town that had 8,720 people, depending on who lived or died that day. And it was a super community oriented type um, ecosystem. And we loved it. We had our family nearby, but it was definitely a communist existence. So there was a lot of pining on my parents' side to make the move and immigrate to the US. But as those that know the immigration process that isn't always fulfilled with desire, there is a pretty lengthy process to be able to do it. So my parents went through that. My mom's twin brother, he moved out to San Diego first through his wife and her connections with her family. And luckily they picked San Diego versus, you know, a colder, less desirable location with less to do, but they did. And we were fortunately able to move here through that process as refugees. We got a sponsor and it was really cool to be able to come out, have a US-based person vouch for us and say, if this family does anything that isn't savory to the ecosystem that we're preserving here in the US, I will own that. I will be their sponsor. I will own their success in this country. And to have a complete stranger offer that kindness to our family, that was just a really special thing. So we had him on the line for kind of receiving us into San Diego. We had my mom's twin brother, which was helpful. When we flew through um, New York, because that's how our path went. We didn't go directly into San Diego. Um, there were some funny things that transpired on that plane. There was that little red cheese, you know, the one that's covered in that red film. And I remember my dad eating it, the whole thing, the film included. And I share that because it's like, we're so foreign and so wild to what the US was. We got off the plane um, and we had to make phone call to our family because we had some family in New York that had immigrated a couple years prior. And we picked up the payphone and this woman in English, none of which we understood because we didn't speak English, was talking to us and provoking us to put in a coin. We didn't understand what she was saying. So we're all standing, uh, two elderly sets of grandparents, my parents and I, eight years old at the time, and we're like, what do we do here? A stewardess walks up. She takes a coin out of her pocket. She puts it in. She grabs the paper. We're holding with shaking hands. She dials the number for us. And on the other end is our family to facilitate the process of getting picked up. Another really small, kind act. So it was really special and really important. We got picked up. Long story short, we ended up in San Diego. When we ended up in San Diego, we had a one-bedroom apartment. Um, for us, and it was, again, my grandparents, um, both sets, my grandmother's sister, so there's actually five total elderly folks, my parents and I, in this place, we were lucky enough through my uncle to be able to get a pretty cheap car station wagon that we nicknamed Cherry, that was kind of our source of transportation, and the journey began. So uh, from there, we, you know, had to work and had to go to school and make connections, and through the sponsor, we were able to make some ties in my mom took a variety of different jobs, one of which um, was at Popeye's Chicken, frying chicken, because that was the main job that she was able to get at the time. And who doesn't like chicken, right? So <laughs> she did that, which it's funny. I didn't know she did that because she was so present for me at the time um, growing up. But this was maybe like three, four years ago. I looked at her arms and there was some splatters on her arms, like some burn marks. And I'm like, mom, what is that? And then she told me the story of working at Popeye's Chicken and how that was her first job. And she had a bunch of different jobs since then. I mean, working at Banana Video, where video stores were a thing. I don't know if you guys remember that. And then my dad took on a bunch of different jobs for 425 an hour. So while it was a change from the communist ecosystem, living behind a closet, 
bread lines and all the things in communist Russia. Now, in America, it wasn't the sweet life that we experience today with the comfortability of our homes, et cetera, very much the establishing of the American dream. That's the interesting thing about the American dream. It's out there for you to get, but it's still a journey to be able to procure it. So I commend my parents for doing the things, all the hard things to help us get activated. And while their piece of this was far more tumultuous and challenging than mine was as a child, I had similar challenges in terms of not speaking the language and going to school and wearing, you know, tight neon colored uh, biker shorts before that was something that was hot, you know, <laughs> and being the weird European kid who was in ESL classes for the majority of my third and fourth grades of getting activated, kids wanting to play on the playground and me crying because I had no idea what it is they wanted to do with me and how they wanted me to participate with them. So that was certainly something. I remember developing a nervous twitch. It's mostly gone, but it was just a reaction emotionally because I feel like there was a lot of um, pressure to just go to school and do well and not necessarily make too much of a fuss because there was far more that my parents were dealing with. So it was that fine balance of, of back and forth, but through their uh, love, through their support, through all the things they were able to foundationalize for us, ended up going through middle school and into high school and had the usual sets of issues that all middle schoolers and high schoolers have, but you know, with a little bit of a caveat of having the Russian play report on top. And then from there, uh, my parents were very uh, prescriptive in terms of where I could apply to go to school because being far from home isn't something that foreign parents love, as, as some of us may know on that side of things. So they said, all right, you can apply to SDSU, you can apply to USD, you can apply to UCSD, and those are kind of your choices. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Sounds good. That's where I'll apply. So I did um, the application process. I was the first one out of our entire family to go to school in the US to a formal institution. So I, I didn't really know SATs application process, essays. I mean, nowadays you hire like a, a writer to help your child get into school. That was far from where we were at. It was more like, all right, how do we figure this out? Luckily, I had a really good friend group and a good circle of people I looked to to see, okay, well, so-and-so is applying and this is what they're doing. Maybe I do that too. It's funny how impactful those relationships are early on. And some of my best friends Vicky, Becky, and more like that core high school crew I developed, they were the ones that kind of helped me orient myself and apply and be able to get in places. So through that process, got into USD, which was phenomenal and um, beautiful institution, extremely expensive, known for being the university of spoiled daughters in some circles, <laughs> which <laughs> I was not, but got to walk around and see it firsthand. A lot of very luxurious things. I think in my class, I had the daughter of the guy who owns Lexus, some guy who owns a small country. I mean, it was it was definitely eye-opening and incredible. But to me, um, I just knew I had to graduate. I needed to get a job because I had a lot of pressure on myself to just rise up to the challenge and the opportunity that my parents had extracted for me. So I went through school, double majored in communications and psychology, very much on the soft side. Um, of the skill set versus the analytical mathematical sciences that didn't draw me in. So I did that the whole time during school. I worked as a breakfast waitress, as a dinner waitress. I worked in the photography department for the Port of San Diego. I worked for a marketing company traveling on weekends and doing direct to market promotions for a company. 
And those were just some of the jobs that I had while doing the double major thing. So I wasn't bored, that's for sure. And <laughs> I have a propensity to get bored easily because I'm used to that fast pace of things. But I remember a typical you know, weekend in town would be waking up at 5 a.m., going to my breakfast shift, getting that done, getting home, doing some fun activity, going to my evening shift, getting done, going to hang out with friends, go to dance, which I love to do, waking up the next day and doing it again. So that was the weekend. And then I, during the week, would go to my classes, to my society and social meetings because I participated in all the community service things because I felt that propensity to give back constantly because I just felt like I was on borrowed time. And almost the fact that I was allowed to exist in this country, I felt like this perpetual need to just try to give and do and be. And then when I would work for JNL, I would travel for the weekend to a particular destination. I would run a marketing promotion, get the sales guys hyped up, get them excited to do the promo, register all the customers, give them free gifts, calculate the results and present them back to the dealership, fly back and that Monday get back to school. So it was, it was a lot. <laughs> Amazing. We I told us call you the Energizer Bunny, Lena. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely chose right with the resilience part. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, to your point with the resilience, it's sometimes a cultivated thing. So you kind of persevere at going into a new country and learning to speak the language and you kind of figure out that being poor is okay and how do you make it and how do you love ramen? And hey, ramen's a lovely thing. And then you get into scenarios where you're like, all right, I made it through that. And I'm okay and nobody died and that kind of became my mantra a little bit I'm like all right well I'm here and nobody died so we're okay you know as long as it wasn't to the extreme sense of things and similarly with all the jobs and all the things I'm like all right maybe I'm tired but I'm here and I'm alive and other people aren't so I have that obligation to live and enjoy and prevail and go and do because I'm here for a reason so why the heck not and I'd say that, that vein of resilience continued to prevail as I took on my professional jobs and there'd be challenges all along the way in recruiting and sales and um, directorship and owning the opportunity to create a team. And there was nuances and personalities and pivots and things. But as long as nobody died and we were all breathing and laughing and surviving, it was okay, you know, and it was life and it's beautiful and it doesn't have to be easy. It could be multi-layered and you could still be in a place of challenge while still doing it with a positive energy and a positive spin to what the element you're in is. So I think Lena, that, yeah. could, could you share where you are at now, like in terms of your career? Because I'm really impressed how far you've come. Thank you. Yeah. And I think um, I've always, I think that propensity to get bored has kind of propelled the trajectory of the career. So right now I'm privileged enough to be the executive over our technology customers, which we support globally. So Amazon and Apple and Google, Microsoft, Salesforce, Snowflake, and all the high tech companies that are out there are supported by my team. So we have five verticals inside of tech systems. We have healthcare, financial services, government, media and entertainment, communications, and technology. So technology is the one that I have the privilege of parlaying my expertise into that portfolio along with my director team. So I have four directors on my team, a myriad of other people who support our practice delivery and engagement. And I have um, the opportunity every day to shape our go-to-market strategy and support those customers. 
as they go to do all the innovative things in our world. And it gets me excited because when I think about these cutting edge tech companies, the ability to really go show up for them as the technology enablement team and say, great, you have so many amazing ideas. How can we help activate you? How can we help enable you with the offerings that we have? And sometimes we're the best and sometimes we're not, but let's have that dialogue and figure out how we come together. So that's essentially what I get to do. Our company right now is 4.5 billion in totality as tech systems, part of a larger umbrella of Allegis Group. And my tower is about a 400 million revenue tower inside of the tech systems ecosystem. Yeah, that is incredible. And I have to say, I love how you say at the very beginning of what you were saying of our conversation, you pinpointed the mindfulness that people had towards you and your family. And a couple occasions, you, you, you're so aware of how mindful some people can be. And I think that is such a beautiful thing to have like gratitude towards people's small acts of mindfulness, I think is what you said. And I think it's very, very powerful to have that kind of mindset. You're so right. I read something on LinkedIn over the weekend in preparation for this, and it was really well said. A woman went through a drive-thru and, you know, she asked the drive-thru worker, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, how, how he was feeling. How are you doing? And he's like, well, what does it matter how I'm feeling, how I'm doing? I just work at McDonald's. And she's like, well, you probably see hundreds of customers a day and you have the ability to impact their mood, their disposition, how their day goes with that single interaction. So I beg to differ, and I'd like to tell you, you are very important. And that really resonated with me because that's exactly how I see the world. We are here as humans to enable and propel and elevate those around us versus deteriorate their experience with life. And if you're mindful about that, it's incredible what you could do to help society move forward. And certainly no small act is, is unnoticed. And I've always been the type of person that if you just give a little, like a simple thank you, a little inch there, I will give you a mile. And those little inches, they're so important because sometimes an inch is all someone has to give, period. Because maybe it's a hard day and maybe life is tough, but just the like mindful, deliberate desire to make it a positive experience versus a negative experience when someone interacts with you, game changer in my opinion, for sure. That just bumps it crazy how a small little thing that somebody can say to you can make the world of a difference you have such a keen sense of perspective which is a really just i think the the foundation of being mindful um so lena can you give us an example um so you're clearly an example of resilience but can you give us our audience an insight or tip to stay resilient and emerge out of adversity. Maybe it's other women who are in a similar place. Yeah, I, I think it's getting centered in your value system is really important. And I think getting that clarity. Because sometimes we tend to live from a place of scarcity when if we can shift our perspective to a place of abundance, we get so much more. So we think, oh, this world has finite opportunity the amount of things I can achieve in it is limited by others because there's only so much. That's a very challenging mindset to be in. The other side of the script, the abundance mindset is there is enough for everyone. And if I love on those around me and I help other people get there, there will be more than enough for me. In fact, that'll create additional opportunity. So I think it's figuring that out. 
first, right? There is abundance to be had for all humans. And then as the next layer of that, what is it that makes me happy foundationally? What is it that I need at a minimum level? Like what truly, if it went away, would cripple me? Well, maybe it's family, maybe it's food, maybe it's health. And it has to be, you know, Maslow's hierarchy back in the day from the psychology things that we used to study back in college, right? That really resonated with me. Foundationally speaking, if you have your basic needs met, then you could build on top of that. So figure out where your basic needs are. And then slowly as you mature in your resilience and mindfulness and build on top of that. I think that's really the best thing I could offer. So if I am starting out on this journey, maybe I'm a generally pessimistic or someone person or someone who's trying to build that positivity, swagger, know-how, mindfulness. And I'm thinking, God, this all sucks. Life is terrible. Everyone's going to die, which they will eventually. But, you know, I, I don't know how to get out of it. It's like, all right, well, what do you have that you love? Okay, well, I have my daughter. That's awesome. Would you be sad if you didn't have her? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be bad. Okay, good. You have your daughter. That's one positive in your life. Okay, do you live somewhere? You have an apartment. That's cool. Like you get to go to it every day and it's pretty much yours and you could afford it. I do. Cool. Now you have a place to live. You have a kid. That's great. You tend to eat food. What do you think? Yeah, I tend to eat every day, maybe three to four times a day. All right. That's pretty cool, right? Some people don't get to do that. Now you got food. You got shelter. All right. So, and when you go home, do you have a TV? You turn it on. Yeah. So you have entertainment and shows. So it's just starting to count your blessings in a way that resonates with you and fake, fake it till you make it a little bit. Because some may think, well, that's silly. Of course, I have a place to live. And of course, I have this. It's starting to take nothing for granted because all of it could be gone in a second. And I think sometimes people do take a lot for granted. And as a result of that, nothing is enough. So I think it's starting with those fundamental desires and building on top of that and counting every blessing. And sometimes it takes a deliberate act of keeping a journal. Hey, you're going to write down 10 good things that happened to you today. And I don't care if you have to scramble and scratch for them, just write down, hey, my coffee was at a delightful temperature, period. Hey, that was pretty good, right? And as you start to reshape the, the brain, right? Because the brain is a phenomenal thing. Whoever studied neuroscience for an extended period of time, which I did, can attest to the fact that the things you use in your brain the most, you develop pathways, right? And those pathways get activated and triggered as a result of using them more often. So if you're using the negative stuff and this is how people fall into depression, you're going to continuously be in depression until you literally climb out of that hole and start to rebuild a new pathway. So with these little deliberate acts of reframing, you start to become more mindful, you start to be more resilient, more happy, because I do believe gratitude and happiness are at the core of resilience. Because if you are enough, and you're feeling whole, and you're feeling good, and you're feeling an abundance of resources being available to you, you're not going to not want to persevere because you want to live. Resilient people want to live. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautifully stated. Yeah, absolutely powerful. And I'm really hoping that our audience really takes the time to listen to every single word you said there, because it is extremely powerful to know that you have the choice. You have the choice to decide that, yes, I'm going to be mindful. Yes, this is going to change the pathways in my brain. Yes, this is like a muscle that I have to, you know, nurture and, you know, develop. So yeah, thank you for that answer. 
your your story from being an immigrant to where you are now and your perspective your your approach your attitude is so positive and you know one could take a very different path but you've you have a choice in this yeah yeah powerful you're just brilliant i love this conversation with you Yes. And it brings us to ask as well, how do you integrate any mindfulness modalities in your day-to-day -day work and uh, everyday life? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I am self-admittedly a horrible meditator. Like, <laughs> I, I need help. Like I need help with that. It's the busy body, right? <laughs> exactly. It's the busy body. It's the easily bored and So I'm sitting with myself and I'm like, I guess I'm supposed to be Zen right now. And then I'm like, I am kind of hungry and did a puppy run by <laughs> and what happened here? So I, that doesn't work for me. So and I, I think meditation is a beautiful thing. And if I learn it, when I learn it, I'm committed to learning it. That'll be a wonderful thing for me and probably will bring me heck of a ton of peace. So first thing I, I can say, <laughs> Lena, sorry to cut you off. First thing I can say is don't be hard on yourself because people like you cannot just sit there and think of absolutely nothing. I think people are delusional if they think that meditation has to be with like clear minds, like nothing at all. Like only the masters do that. So one thing I can say is do not be hard on yourself and you can start with one minute, that's fine. <laughs> and Lena, a lot of things are in meditative in nature that allows flow to happen. And one of the mindfulness bits that you mentioned maybe unconsciously was journaling or just conscious act of gratitude 100 percent. so that's where i've had to find alternatives because of the lack of ability of sitting still i've learned what works for me because to me meditation is about just getting connected with yourself and just being aware of your thoughts so that you can get them into a place where you could maneuver and manipulate and understand to bring peace and happiness within. Right. So I'm like, all right, if I can't do that, what can I do? And I found that there's two things that work. One Shilpa, you highlighted, which is the journaling. That's for sure. If I'm ever feeling disorganized, disoriented, needing to be just in a place that's more clear, I go to my journal. My words are my way. So I write and then I look at what I wrote and it helps me get clear and centered and it's wonderful. The other thing is activity. So it could be Zumba, it could be hiking, it could be boot camp, spin. I find that I get truly in a Zen place when I am participating in those activities because my body takes over as the primary feature and my mind has to relent and go into the motions that I'm doing. Yoga is another one I've been trying, which is a little more slow, which is also hard for me. But nonetheless, I think that physical activity and kind of reframing from now you're focusing on your body versus your mind as the primary and that journaling are the two things that kind of bring me that clarity, that peace um, in lieu of meditation for now until I get a little better. Well, you know the right girls now when you're ready to go down that path of meditation. That's right. That's right. I know where to go. Yeah, and I think that it's so important for our listeners to understand that everybody is so different and some people have more of an energy that has to move and there's meditation in movement as well. So it's it's great that you highlight the differences that you can, you know, take the, the different routes that you can take uh, to be with yourself and be mindful. 
Yeah. You're so right. And not to hit on like a touchy topic, but religion too. People experience religion differently. Some right. people feel most religious in a church. And that is a beautiful thing. Some people feel most religious or spiritual or connected on top of a mountain. And that's a beautiful thing. I think in this world, you get to choose all the things. And it comes with self-discovery to figure out what is that thing that brings you to the place you want to be. And it could be a myriad of different things. Absolutely. With no judgment, no judgment for yourself and no judgment for others. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much. We really enjoyed this conversation. We really did. You are a light to this world and we are so grateful that you were able to be with us today. And Lena, I think, and I know in my heart, you're going to impact so many women and empower them through your story. I hope so. That's why, that's why we do the work, right? It's, hey, if we could help one other person have a little perspective and help them out of a situation that maybe they couldn't climb out of on their own, which is typically why you solicit things like podcasts, our job is done. So I hope one person listening to this is like, you know what? I could steal that little nugget. That's all. That's what it's all about. Thank you so much, Lena. Thank you, Lena. Thank you guys. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in. Check out the links in the description and please subscribe, follow, and share. And continue to be omnipresent.